God's blessings to you as we, we come to study God's word and to think about what he says in the text we have before us. We're going to be keying off of Isaiah 42. If you've got it in your bulletin, you can refer back to it once in a while. But uh, we're glad to be here, my wife and I, my wife Joan over here, uh, coming from Hong Kong. And we bring greetings from nine congregations in Hong Kong that are in fellowship with you, as well as um, Asian Lutheran Seminary. We've got congregations in China and Indonesia and Japan and, and Nepal and Pakistan and India, all that bring greetings to you because they share the same Savior that you know. Before we go, I just um, there's a phrase that probably you are familiar with and maybe you've used quite a bit. It's a phrase that says, it's not fair. Now, I forgot about that phrase for a while until we were visiting our daughter in Green Bay and this little one over here, this is Eli. Um, they've got a rule in the household. The rule is screen time. I don't know if you guys have screen time rules. It's you earn points to get screen time. In other words, you can watch, do your video games or watch a movie if you've earned points for it. And there's a timer, right? And when the timer comes down and your time's done, then you've got to quit the screen time. Then you've got to earn some more points. So it was okay until Grandpa's there, and then Grandpa's sitting with Emma, Eli's sister, and we're watching a movie, and Eli says, it's not fair, she didn't earn points for that. So we always look at each other and we compare, okay. But now, I'm not sure he's going to tell Emma, his sister, when he gets back, how much screen time he had on the way down here on my phone. We'll just kind of be quiet about that. But when you get older, it's not fair turns into this whole thing about injustice. You know, this injustice in our world. And we get very concerned about it. But oftentimes, just like fairness, injustice is our perception of whether it's an advantage for me and a benefit for me or not. And that's usually what we say when we say it's not fair. We're not so much worried about equality as much as I get what I want to have. But we come to Isaiah, and Isaiah talks about fair, <coughs> fairness with these terms. <clears throat> he says, uh, both injustice and unrighteousness, or justice and righteousness. And he brings those themes over and over again. And he says, God's going to do something about the injustice and the unrighteousness. And here, yesterday was Epiphany. We think about the kings coming to worship a king in a manger of Bethlehem. He says, I am going to provide for you a king who is going to bring justice. That's just what he does. So three things that we have in our bulletin. It's a call for truth. It's a call for faith. And it's a call for action when we think about the king who brings justice. Now, justice, here Isaiah, and his, he brings this term up a lot, justice and righteousness. What he's talking about is the way things ought to be, the right way of living in this world. And righteousness, you might say, is the right way of relating to other people in the way God intended to be. And justice is, and, excuse me, I think I'm coming down with a good cold. <clears throat> justice is enforcing that and making sure that those relationships are protected. And you might think in our country, justice is enforcing the rules that we think are the rules for living in the right relationships with each other. And we talk about that quite a bit, and we look at our world and we say, you know, no matter where you travel, there's this cry of justice 
or a cry of injustice. But if you go from one country to another, it's totally different. We might say there's the freedom of speech, and that's justice. In another country like Thailand, it's not a freedom of speech. It's if you speak against the king, you're in jail. You can't say what you want. We say we have a freedom to do what we want during the national anthem. In China, if you aren't respecting the national anthem, again, you're thrown in jail. We have our different rules of what we think is justice and injustice. And then you put into that whole formula uh, immigration or poverty or um, internet use or any of many different things. Even here in America, how many different opinions do we have of what's right and what's wrong? It seems now, uh, since this last year, I've got a Facebook friend who's from Florida, and he's very much pro the government that's right now part of our United States, and everything is right that's going on, and everything that's against it is wrong. And another person who's just the opposite, who anything that the present government does is wrong, and anybody who fights against it is right. These are two Americans who can't see the same thing when it comes to justice and righteousness. But in Scripture, he says, Here is my servant. This is verse 1 of um, Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Well, who's justice? Your definition? Their definition? You know, we always redefine justice and good and bad based on what's advantage to us and how we want to see the world. But in God's economy, there's two parts of this. It's about relationship. It's relationship, uh, in one part, our relationship to each other. And we get that when we hear him say, love your neighbor as yourself. Or when you look at the commandments and you see commandment 4 through 10. It's talking about how you should relate to each other. This is justice, he says. That you honor your father and mother and that you, um, that you honor marriage and that you don't take something from someone else and that you don't take their name and trash it or you don't want what they have. He defines what that relationship should be. And yet in our world we find abuse of those relationships. We find people... Um, taking advantage of each other. But Isaiah 28 says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. I'll show you where you line up on the basis of what I consider holy in your relationships to each other. So what do we find? We find brokenness in relationship. We find abuse in relationship. We find neglect in relationship. We find taking advantage of someone else. We find a pride that puts me above or a prejudice that puts people below. And we look at the world, we say, we want to fight those things and we want someone who can change it. And yet we ourselves are guilty of that in our hearts. Because that's where the problem is. It's not at the governmental level, it's at the heart level. So he goes on, he says, here's the second part of justice. It's even the higher part. We look at the justice here, and this is what we gauge at. How are people relating to each other? But he says, true justice and righteousness is giving your creator the honor that's due him. And we fail to look at that so many times. In our text, he says, 
Verse 5, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to the people and life to those who walk in it. This is the one you should be in the right relationship with in the way he defines it. Because he defines what's just and what's right. And what's that right relationship? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Commandments 1 through 3 define that clearly. You should have no other gods. You should honor his name and you should respect him enough to worship him with your life. But that's not what was happening at Isaiah's time with Israel. Israel forgot the God who had rescued them, not only created them, but rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And they were going up to these high points on the mountains and worshiping the gods of the people around them, because that was more exciting at the time. God says how ridiculous that is. In the chapters before this, he says, let me just show you how ridiculous this is. He says, you cut a piece of wood, like Pastor Kay was doing yesterday in the little woods over there. You cut a piece of wood, and with half of it, you put it in the fireplace, and you burn it to cook your food. And the other half of the wood, you carve up into an image, and you put on a shelf, and then you've got to nail his feet down, because otherwise he'll fall over. And you want that thing to be saving you? You pray to that thing? You've forgotten who created you. You forgot the one who sustains you. You forgot the one who can make things good for you in the future. He says, I will have no other gods. Verse 8 of our text. I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. Why? Because when we give our attention to idols or things that aren't the true God, we're not coming to the one who can make a difference in our life. We're not coming to the one and giving praise to the one and depending on the one who gives us hope and who gives us joy. Where we are in Asia, there's so many different ideas of what's out there in the spiritual world. You get the Hinduism with the millions of gods and people are sacrificing to them and constantly trying to get them on their side. In Hong Kong, where we are, incense being burned constantly. There's a hungry ghost festival where they feel all the spirits are coming out of the ground, and then they <clears throat> are putting tables of wine and rice and chickens out there for the spirits that are going around so they can be fed. Kind of like a Halloween thing. Because if you don't feed them, then they're going to trouble you. They want to make sure their ancestors in the, uh, that have died are happy, because if they don't keep them happy, it's going to be a miserable afterlife. But also, if you don't keep them happy, you might... They might come back and trouble you and give you bad luck. There's a fear out there that says the good and the bad, I have to appease someone to keep them happy, otherwise things are going to be bad for me. But they don't give awe and glory to the one who can take care of them. And sometimes we don't either. Because sometimes we don't give the awe and respect and honor to God for what he's doing in our lives or what he's going to do to take what seems to be bad in our life to make it good. We don't sometimes think about what he's doing and how he saved us and where he's going to bring us. And sometimes we're guilty of not thinking about the God who created us and appreciating what he's doing in our life. But he said, I'm going to bring a king who's going to bring justice to this world. 
And that's a call for you as a call to faith. Because he says this. Um, Here is my servant whom I have chosen. This is verse 3 and 4 of our text. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he brings justice on the earth. Boy, I think of this last election, I think of after this last election for our president of the United States. It's almost as if people feel if you get the right person in power in the government, he's going to fix this world. If you get the wrong one, this world's going to collapse. As if God hasn't been around seeing this happen over and over and over again for, for hundreds of years. Thousands of years. Through countries like Persia and Roman government and so forth. God's got control of these things. But sometimes we think if we make the right laws, it's going to make people right. But it's not the laws that are going to change people. Because we've had laws for hundreds and thousands of years, and still the heart is sinful. And sometimes we think, well, this is the generation that's going to make it good. And you listen to the Christmas songs, and a lot of the Christmas songs say, you know, if we have the right heart toward people, this world's going to be a wonderful place. But over and over again, we see evil popping up, and we find tension and brokenness in the relationships that God says are most important. But he says, I'm going to send someone who's going to fix it. Here's my servant who I've chosen, whom I uphold. He's going to fix it all. And so we listen to scripture, and Isaiah earlier says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, the governing of the world is on his shoulders, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. And of his kingdom... He will be established and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forever. And how does he do that? The king of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who keeps the stars in motion and the flow of the the histories of the world comes to be a baby born in a manger of Bethlehem. The one who's everywhere at all times who controls what goes on in the world, becomes one who has to learn how to crawl, learn how to walk, learn how to speak the language of the people around him. And then God says, says, here's the one. This is the one I'm talking about. When the angels sang at Bethlehem, they said, goodwill toward men, God was saying, this is the one. This is the one Isaiah is talking about. And when the wise men came and bowed down before him like a king and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, they were saying, this is the one Isaiah was talking about. And as we read in our text, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the Father in heaven opened up the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He's the one. And then when he did miracles of healing or stilling the storms, he was declaring to the world, There is no one like me. This is the one Isaiah was talking about. But he doesn't come to establish justice like a 
king of the world would. Sometimes kings come in and emperors come in and presidents come in. It looks good at first, but we've seen how many atrocities happen when someone gets too much power. And we get a Mao Zedong. We get a Pol Pot. We get a Hitler and a Stalin. Promised the world and took the world away from people. Because inside is still that evil that all of a sudden rises to the, the part of damaging all the relationships they are supposed to preserve. But this is the one who comes not with power and getting rid of all those who are his enemies that seem to challenge him, but goes through the challenges so he can die for us. He doesn't come with the power of crushing us when we're not right, but he comes like this. It says in our text, He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And he showed it by going to the sinners and eating with them. He did it by those who are downcast and marginalized and bringing them in. He did it by an adulterous woman who was going to be stoned by those who thought they're righteous and said, if you have no sin, then you show that by casting the first stone. He represented those who others forgot about. And about you too. Sometimes we are the bruised reed, aren't we? Sometimes it's something that went on in the past that just hurts us still today. And we bring it into our day and we're like a bruised reed. It doesn't take much to touch that bruise and all of a sudden it hurts again. But he comes for you. He's not going to break you. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. He'll be one who sustains you, not snuffs you out. Because he says sometimes we're like a smoldering wick too. Sometimes it feels like we don't have any energy to go on in life. And all the things that are going on in our life are too much for us. And yet he says he's not going to snuff us out. He sees the smoldering flame. And he comes to the smoldering flame and the bruised reed. He heals or he empowers. And he flames us up again. But then finally, it's because of the world turning against him that he actually felt the greatest injustice. He, the innocent one who never did anything wrong, was brought to a cross, crucified like a criminal. The greatest injustice, the creator being nailed to a cross by his creation. The sustainer being put to death by those who depend on him. The one who's innocent being charged as being guilty, yet in this great injustice, God brought the king who brings justice to us. Because everything we've done wrong in our relationship to each other, everything that we've done wrong in our relationship to God, all our injustices, he took on himself. And he was crucified and punished for them so he could erase that in our relationship to God. So we could have peace with God once more, not because of what we've done, not because of rituals we've done, but because of what he's accomplished. And he does it because he loves you. And when he says, it is finished, he's saying, this, I was the servant Isaiah was talking about, and I have brought justice between you and God. And when he came alive from the dead and rose on the third day, God was saying, this is the one This is the one you can depend on for justice because the world isn't going to give it to you. 
It's a call for faith. Simple as that, to trust in the one God has sent. But it's also a call to action. It's mind-boggling in in Hong Kong to realize that if we fly five hours in any direction, we have covered, if we do that circle, we have covered more than half the population of the world, from India to China to Indonesia and Japan. And yet in that more than half population of the world, some of the countries have not even 1% who understand Christ. Some come up as far as 10%, but we're talking out of 4 billion people, a 10% would be what, 400,000? Is that right? 4 million. 4 million. You do the math. But that leaves how many more? If it's 4 million, which I guess it would be in math, that leaves 3.6 billion people who really don't know Jesus. And God didn't come just to be the king of righteousness for us and the king of justice to get rid of injustice in our life. But the injustice in the world of people not knowing who their God is. And the call to action is saying, if you know him, why don't they know him? If you know him, why aren't you sharing it with them? Because he tells us one day in that justice... That justice will come down as separating the sheep from the goats and the ones who do not believe will go to the damnation of hell forever. But those who do believe get this wonderful joy and excitement of heaven eternal with the one who has created, the one who has saved us. So justice, he says to Abraham, I chose you to be a blessing to the nations so that they might know also. And Israel forgot about that. They thought they were just for their... They thought they were there just for themselves. But Isaiah says, no, here it is. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter until he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. Later on he says, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So he calls us to faith so that we might have the gifts and the blessings and the eternal life that he gives. But he also calls us to faith to be a call to action. So that we take that to other people. So the injustice of not knowing Jesus is bridged. And he talks about giving uh, opening eyes to the blind. He's not talking just about physical sight. He's talking about those who have no clue, who are blind to the truth. And all over that Asian world, there's a lot of darkness and blindness. When he's talking about freeing the, cap- freeing the captives from prison, releasing those from dungeon, those who sit in darkness, he's talking about those who have been held captive by the fear of the demons and the the. Uh, Spirits of the world, those who have been held captive by feeling that they have to live their lives to prove something or they won't have anything to show for it. He gives them eternal life through Jesus. And that's what we, I work with multilingual publications for our Synod's world missions, supporting all the world missions with resources, print resources, digital resources. So why? So we can get into areas that we can never reach before with a message about Jesus, that we can 
support missionaries and leaders with things that they can have in their hands to talk to other peoples about Jesus. And he goes on and he says, this is how God works. We look at um, the Apostle Paul when he became a Christian and realized that this is where it's at, is God has saved me to share the message with others. He went to Philippi, went to Philippi, thrown in prison, everything seemed to be wrong, but God used what seemed to be wrong to help him to interface with a guy, a jailer, who didn't know Jesus. And when the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And we see that over and over again. In our presentation before, we talked about a man who's from Nepal, who was a child of a priestly Brahmin family who got to find out from a high school friend about Jesus and now is so on fire about Jesus that he's taken our multilingual publication resources and going to the Himalayan mountains and has about 4,000 people that he's reaching to try to teach about Jesus. And then there's a guy in Pakistan where it's hostile to Christians who's taken those materials and he takes this Bible teaching series we have and he, every month, sends out 5,000 booklets to people who are eager to learn. And they go through that booklet and they take the test at the end and about 5,000 tests come back so they can take the next course. And he's had 50,000 people who have taken those courses over the years. God's taken people in China who didn't know about Jesus, who grew up learning that there was no God from the government schools, and then finding a way in which um, God could reach their hearts. And now we've got five pastors who are leading church groups who are spreading the, the message there. And that's the work you do through your offerings and through your special gifts. But it's not just happening there, it's happening here. Because when he says to be a light for the Gentiles, he's talking about your life and your, your context and what you do. That you might spread the word so people might know and people might have what God has done for them. So that someday, when it comes to injustice, it's all wiped away and there will be no fear. There will be no tears. There will be no pain as they live eternally with God in heaven. As people from every uh, voice, every tribe, every language are brought together to be at the feet of the King who brings justice. So it's your privilege to know Him because it's a call for truth that brings us to repentance. It's a call to faith that puts our lives in his hands. And it's a call for action for us to go out and do his work. May God bless us as we partner with that here and throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and... And share what we know about God has been summarized in the Nicene Creed that's been used for um, 1,700 years, basically, uh, as a Christian church's confession of this is the God that we worship. Nicene Creed, page 5. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, 
and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.